All right. Um, Hang on, I just need to put my phone on. Uh, on or off? Well, on silent. It's Friday, July the 1st, halfway through the year, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Number 10 Sofa Surfer, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and The Hague Skywalker. Uh, Paul, I think you got the more tasteful title this week, <laughs> uh, because the, the, sky, the, the sky has risen in, uh, in, in The Hague, as you've been uh, uh, documenting. Yeah, the... Um... Yeah. The City Council in The Hague uh, approved uh, plans for two new uh, skyscrapers in uh, The Hague. Um, yeah. It's called, what's, what, what's the name of it's this? It's called the Grace, Grace Towers, called, isn't it? Or, or the Grace Towers, yeah, yeah that's which, it. Which, uh, like, uh, yeah, which um, to British people of a certain age makes you think of Grace Brothers, which is a department store in a sitcom called Are You Being Served? But uh, Oh, well, so is that the name of that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mrs. Humphreys uh, is in this. Mrs. Slocum. She, and Mr. Slocum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mrs. Slocum always changed. Oh, in every again. episode, she had a different hair color, right? In every right? episode, she had a different hair yeah. color, and also the, the, she would then make some reference to uh, so, yes, uh, some reference to her pussy, and it turned out that her cat had also had its hair color, to, uh, had its fur um, dyed as well, same color to match. Mr. Humphreys, are you free? That that's that's yeah. the. It's also I'm a catchphrase, right? Free. Yes, yes. It was very I'm sophisticated free, yeah. comedy. This, you know, yeah. <laughs> lots of really subtle references that you had to, you had to watch several times before you understood it. Really understood, yeah. <laughs> uh, multi-layered, uh, multi-layered exactly. sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, an episode yeah. of The Wire in many ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how we uh, came up on this topic. Um, no, but these Grace Brothers Towers. Oh, the Grace uh, Towers. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the um, Hague, yeah. newest additions to the uh, to the Hague's uh, skyline. Uh, these buildings will be these are two towers in this one project one will be 150 meters and the other will be 180 meters and these will become the tallest buildings in the hague Mm. surpassing the ministerial buildings that are nearby um and uh yeah what i noticed about that uh, design is that uh, it's sort of a break with uh, with the hagish tradition of having the more um, the, the the nicer uh, skyscrapers in the Netherlands because I think the the skyline of the Hague is still the best uh, the best one of the Netherlands. Mm. Uh, it's much it, better than 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 Rotterdam's, for example. Yeah, it's a very sort of compact bijou skyscraper, skyscraper district in the Hague, isn't it? And as you're driving in, you see these pointy towers, and it's, it's quite distinctive. I, I do like it. No. Yeah, as, and especially yeah. if you if you if you walk around the Binnenhof, uh, yeah. if you are at the uh, uh, what, what, what is it southeastern uh, corner of the Hofvijver, yeah. uh, you look over that uh, over that little lake with uh, with the Binnenhof and all its uh, historical towers and the, and the Mauritshuis Museum uh, and of course the Prime Minister's office and behind that you have this yeah very nice uh, skyline with these ministerial uh, uh, offices of mm. uh, yeah I think they are 147 meters uh, the the tallest one right now. Uh, so it's a very nice uh, skyscraper, but uh, the newest designs are a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit boring, dull yeah. compared to uh, compared to the the the, the other high rises uh, in the Hague. So I think that's uh, that's a missed opportunity to have a um, yeah to have a uh, addition that is more in tone, in line with uh, with the other buildings. Yeah, 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 and of course the the, the other the downside of uh, the Hague's. Uh, city center is that uh, you have these quite elegant skyscrapers, but in front of them, wherever you're walking, you have these awful low-rise buildings like um, Gaudi's 
uh, what is it? Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the temporary, uh, the temporary trader camp building, uh, but also Central Station, which is a bit of an eyesore as well. So, uh, especially that um, uh, uh, that very long uh, concrete tower next to the uh, next next to the Central Station. Yeah, is it? Yeah, New Babylon. Is that the one you think you're? No, no, no. It's. Oh, um, really? Uh, it's it's literally part of the central station complex. Oh, uh, right. yeah. it, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, it's very. Uh, you probably have seen it hundreds of times, but just didn't notice it because it's so dull and so yeah, uh, uh, yeah so so boring. Um, and and also the for example the royal library, which is also next to the new Tweede Kamer or the 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 temporary Tweede Kamer building, is also very dull and very seventy yes. esque, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, it's no. That 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 side is uh, is a little bit of a disappointment, but. I think the, the 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 area between the city center and 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 the central station where the towers are located, they, they they're they're very nice. I think mm. even though if you walk around there, especially at night, I was there last night uh, when when nobody is around and it's just it's it's not a very pleasant area to be yeah. in. I think uh, yeah. so. That's uh, that that can need uh, that needs a little bit more work. I think. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, speaking of things that uh, got a little bit uh, too much work. Mm. Um, What's your job or during about, working Gordon? time? Yeah, this is just because I need to find some way to shoehorn in uh, the appalling story that has uh, dropped this week about um, uh, Boris Johnson, and, and I need to uh, discharge it from my mind uh, somehow. And this is—I'm afraid this is, the only, <laughs> this is the only outlet I could find. Um, that, your therapist uh, <laughs> advice just to talk about it with other people. <laughs> yeah. um, the, 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 the Times of London pulled a story uh, about a week ago uh, about Boris Johnson. Uh, apparently trying to uh, give his uh, girlfriend at the time Carrie Simmons who's now his wife uh, a job in the foreign office um <laughs> and uh, yeah it did the, the, uh, the newspaper was leaned on by various people in number 10 Downing Street uh, to, to to pull the story and they did after the but only after the first edition which of course led to fevered speculation about what had actually happened and uh, this uh, week as uh, the week rolled on uh, private eye the satirical news magazine uh, dropped the, the real story and it was something of a bombshell that uh, apparently they weren't so worried about the story about uh, Boris giving Carrie a job but they were worried about the detail <laughs> that if they feared would uh, emerge in the report in the story that apparently um, Carrie gave Boris another type of job on the sofa of number 10 <laughs> Downing Street uh, and I think we should just leave it there so the, 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 yeah they're the, the, there but it was it was kind of like a sort of a, a mini Clinton moment should we yeah. say what, um, what was Boris Johnson's uh, uh, slogan, a campaign slogan, last well, election? Get, get, get Brexit done, isn't it? Yeah. N yeah, and the other one? Or the other one. Getting on with the job. Getting on with the job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which uh, yeah. in light of all this, uh, yeah, is uh, has a different meaning. Possibly the first time in his term of office he's actually uh, f uh, delivered on a promise. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's let's say it's just not uh, not only the country that uh, Johnson brings to his knees. Yes. Anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, what's your pepper the week, Paul? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We we really need to move on. We do um, need to move on. Yeah. Yeah. This week was, uh, of course, dominated by protests, uh, violence, and threats by angry farmers. So it was uh, very difficult for me to find another OPEF. But mm. fortunately, our good Wappy friends never failed to deliver. So this week, the OPEF comes from Utrecht, where notorious anti-corona restaurant Waku Waku is now for sale. 
To uh, remind you, last year this vegan restaurant became the epicenter of coronavirus deniers because uh, in the middle of lockdown it refused to check the corona access QR code of its guests. Uh, the restaurant owners were fined but refused to pay, after which the restaurant was forced to shut its doors. But uh, they also refused that and stayed open, making it the hero of the corona conspiracy theorists, better known as Voppies. Hundreds of them traveled to the restaurant to show their support and to protest the corona measures in an impromptu demonstration. Waku Waku decided to fight the fine and closure in court. They opened a crowdfunding campaign to cover their legal costs and managed to scrape together some 250,000 euros, which made a lot of people suspect they had turned their newly acquired WAPI hero status into a lucrative business model. Because, yeah, you, you don't need 250,000 euros for a, uh, for a court case. Now, uh, a year later, the owners have decided to sell the vegan restaurants, which many see as a confirmation of their suspicions. The official reason for the sale is that the owners want to spend more time with their family. And with these inflation rates, we wish them a uh, comfortable two weeks of well-earned fam- family quality time. The likelihood is they probably burnt through most of the 250,000 uh, euros of crowdfunding in, in the meantime as well. So, Do, do, do we think they bought... Um, uh, 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 a strip of land next to uh, Willem Engels' uh, 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 estate well, in, in Spain? Spain, possibly, or maybe they bought some face masks from Sivert that uh, they, don't, uh, <laughs> they don't need any longer. Yeah, who uh, knows? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But it is uh, something that we see more often, right? Uh, yeah, um, we see these people that uh, yeah get um, attention or uh, get praise on the internet, and all of a sudden they start crowdfunding campaigns for dubious reasons. And uh, yeah, these people that um, admire them, they uh, they just uh, transfer a, a lot of money to these uh, to these crowdfunding campaigns or accounts. Yeah, uh, and a similar thing we see, uh, or that is ex- uh, at least what the January 6th committee in the US, for example, is claiming, is that um, uh, Donald Trump uh, also um, uh, accepted donations uh, to fight this, the, the, the stealing of this uh, uh, of this election, even yeah. though he knew perfectly well that uh, none of it was uh, was true. So uh, yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's a uh, classic case from the Wappy book, I think. Yeah, and it has become a really kind of lucrative uh, funding stream. There's been a court case this week uh, about three men who were convicted of uh, spreading conspiracy theories about officials in Bodegraven uh, near Utrecht. And um, if it, in yeah. fact, there were four of them. One was based in Northern Ireland and had to be extradited in the in, in the end. But uh, yeah, the, and, and they said that they claimed that uh, I think the mayor of Bodegraven was a paedophile. Uh, that Hugo de Jonge and Jaap van Dissel, while well, they issued death threats to Jaap van Dissel um, and Mark Rutte and Hugo de Jonge, but they also had a crowdfunding campaign and they raised. I was trying trying to find the amounts, but uh, they raised astonishing amounts of crowdfunding for these uh, through their videos and through their kind of social media presence. Um, the websites to, to, yeah. and their websites, um, yeah, d- d- uh, based on these completely ludicrous and unfounded conspiracy theories. So there was absolutely and they were saying things like you know that the, 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 there were children being uh, abused and murdered by Satanists in Bodegraven, and that this was all a, a, a sort of a dark conspiracy linked to uh, uh, yeah, the, from the, probably, <laughs> probably the VEF and Klaus Schwab and all the other um, bogeymen yeah. that uh, the extreme right uh, of a fond of sight, inevitably cite in these uh, these conspiracies. But it's amazing how much how much money these these people managed to to to, to, to pull in uh, through 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 having these um, uh, having these social media channels. 
Yeah, it's, it's also one of the downsides, or in their case, plus sides of the internet, right? You don't need to, if you want to raise a lot of money, you don't need to uh, to knock on every door in order to to get a donation. You just, you know, can uh, can upload a, a link uh, and yeah. people can donate from the comfort of their home. So yeah, that's. Uh, um, uh, another downside of the internet, I think, because these people are clearly uh, being scammed. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and possibly a downside of lockdown as well. People were sat indoors a long time, uh, sitting at their computers, nowhere to go, nowhere to spend their money, and so they, uh, yeah, uh, they had their bank accounts drained by, um, yeah, by these people. So uh, we are now also on Patreon. If you want to yes. <laughs> donate your money, give us a small amount of money, please. Not, not, not your entire life savings. Uh, well, whatever you whatever you want to give us, we don't mind. Yeah, whatever. we will yeah. not spend it though on uh, vegan uh, food. I promise. No. no doubt. What's the burning issue this week? Farmers' protests have led to scenes of mayhem across the country, a fusillade of mild rebukes from politicians, and a smattering of arrests. Doctors are going on strike over their heavy workload and underfunding, but they don't have tractors, so no one's paying attention. Slaves in the former Dutch colonies also didn't have tractors, which is why the government is bothering to apologise for kidnapping them and treating them like cattle. And the latest star of Dutch tennis, Tim van Rijthoven, knocks out a seed and ploughs ahead at Wimbledon. The farmers are revolting. In the last week, we've seen tractors blocking motorways, hay bales set on fire, trees being chopped down, police vans attacked with sledgehammers, and two cows paraded in front of the Parliament building in The Hague, with the question, which of these cows do you want to save? Saving, in this context, meaning uh, not slaughtering for about another six months. While some of the protests were... Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) um, there was a lot of criticism about that because, you know, you shouldn't bring live animals to a protest. Uh, Well, I I think these uh, cows are used to uh, something far worse, I think. But um, it was a little bit of a a grotesque uh, uh, gesture because, you know, if you know that every minute four cows are slaughtered in the Netherlands then yeah. <laughs> you know this is uh, this is uh, this is uh, this wouldn't contribute much to the to the number of, of cows that are slaughtered every day here in in this country um, yeah uh, but, but of course the the uh, the message was the uh, that the, these people think that the livestock uh, number of livestock in the Netherlands need to be reduced by half yeah. which is not true at all but yeah that's uh, that was what they were uh, protesting against yeah suggestions so basically case. which of these two cows do you want to slaughter now and which do you want to save because uh, yeah. you know yeah. um yeah. Uh, yeah so so there were some protests like that which were quite eye-catching and imaginative but others were kind of downright sinister really uh, protesters picketed the house of nitrogen minister christiana van der Waal for a third time in a week even after you know, politicians across the spectrum had told them not to uh, the Christian they Democrats. broke even. Uh, they they broke even through um, uh, police barricades, right? They did, yeah. And they yeah. Uh, they, they overturned a van and uh, sprayed it with um, uh, with manure as well, or or slurry. So, yeah, it all got uh, quite unpleasant. Uh, the Christian Democrat spokesman Dirk Bosvak, uh, he decided to stay home for the week uh, after uh, protesters turned up on his doorstep uh, while he was at work in the Hague. But his two young children, who are four and seven years old, I think, uh, were in the house. 
So yeah, lots of kind of quite um, unsavoury uh, intimidation and general kind of hanging around. Uh, the farmers are putting pressure on the cabinet to abandon its plans to make substantial cutbacks to the agriculture sector. Ministers uh, say it's the only way to meet terms of a council of state ruling that said nitrogen oxide emissions and ammonia need to be reduced drastically to protect European nature reserves. Fanavel says that means some farmers will need to give up work. Um, and uh, there was also uh, some op-ed because uh, some people said that Prime Minister Mark Rutte uh, remained too silent in all this um, uh, drama and all these developments. But he finally spoke out. And what did he say? He did. Uh, it took him kind of about a week. Uh, but eventually uh, he chose uh, to take some time out for attending the NATO summit in Madrid to condemn the violence. I mean, you can imagine being Rutte here at the summit. You know, so they say, sorry, lads, uh, I've got to break off from this whole stuff about uh, whether or not we should uh, be sending arms to Ukraine and stopping Vladimir put in uh, slaughtering civilians because uh, I've got a bit of bother with the farmers back home. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think uh, Emmanuel Macron <laughs> would be sympathetic, I think. I guess he would, yeah. yeah. But he must have, it must have been quite a hard cringe by Rutte. Um, yeah. And he said that while he understood the farmers' concerns, which is always a line we get from politicians, uh, a small group of farmers had crossed the line, although it looked like quite a big group when I, when I was watching it on television, and their behaviour was unacceptable. Police have also criticised the protesters' tactics in increasingly harsh terms. Uh, there have been some arrests, uh, about 11 so far. Um, one person has been accused of attempted murder after driving his tractor at a police car in Drenthe. Yeah. Um, and in a bizarre incident on Wednesday, the mayor of Appledorn issued an emergency order to stop a posse of farmers heading down their tractors uh, to break out, uh, to break one of their colleagues out of jail. It's um. <laughs> <laughs> another uh, a, a cheap Oceanus Eleven uh, storyline here, which yeah. we will hear later. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, this one, I think, I'm sympathetic with. This one is. Uh, uh, I, I would have liked to see how how they uh, propose to uh, you know um, 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 help someone escape uh, jail with uh, with a tractor. Yeah, it's kind of when they were kind of planning to storm the police. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the police station. Yeah. I mean, Ridwan Tahi hires a a, uh, a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that would be more effective. Yeah, of course they've closed the skies now, haven't they, over the um uh, 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 the, the, the high security prison in Fucht yeah. to try and stop yeah. uh, these but they didn't reckon with the tractors though so uh, <laughs> so Arido one if you're listening here's an idea <laughs> yeah maybe uh, the chair of the police union Jan Strauss said the protests were being driven by professional demonstrators whose aim was to attack and disrupt the government and he described the farmers protests as an attack on democracy so strong words there from the police yeah yeah. Um, Margoto came back from Madrid uh, on Thursday, but he immediately had to uh, come into action because there was a debate in Parliament uh, on Thursday evening, right? Yeah, there have been uh, debates going on all week. Uh, the one on Thursday evening, I think, was an emergency debate about the, uh, which is supposed to focus actually on the protests. Um, so uh, and also they, just, they hardly did. I have they to hardly say, did. They no, <laughs> they, they went straight onto the uh, the nitrogen plans themselves. But yeah, uh, yeah politicians did uh, line up to condemn the farmers. Uh, even Kit Wilders, uh, who said that uh, you shouldn't turn up at politicians' homes, uh, and I should know. So, so yeah. It's kind of, yeah, it's a bit of a. He is uh, one of these people, uh, one of the few politicians who get uh, around-the-clock security for, uh, I think, or already 14 or 15 years, I think, mm. or something. Um, you know, he he lost uh, 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 his safety completely because of, uh, yeah, the the, the 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 things he says as uh, polit- as, as politician. Um, but I also didn't expect that he would do this because you know it's also he um the the the, the pvv is uh, obviously aligning with these farmers so yeah i think yeah it's um 
I don't know. It's um, it was a surprise, but on the other hand, it was also not a surprise to hear him say this. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, but, but on, um, certainly when other politicians have been threatened, uh, like uh, Sivana Siemens, he's uh, also received several threats. Uh, Wilders hasn't been sympathetic at all and hasn't suggested. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so he might have gone the other way, but on this occasion, uh, he, he decided that the line had been crossed. Um, Anyway, he had a reform for democracy. Still, uh, I think the one holdout, uh, saying that uh, yeah, that, that, that don't seem to have a problem with um, the farmers using increasingly fascistic tactics. I wonder why that would be. Uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, um, but uh, as I say, uh, so on the one hand, the politicians were condemning the tactics used in the protest, but they also kind of held out the suggestion that perhaps uh, they could still renegotiate the nitrogen targets, which is odd because um, Christiana van der Waal said quite clearly and so is the council of state that uh, there really is no room for maneuver here and we've already wasted three years trying to pretend there is and the kind of the elephant or the big cow in the room is that uh, european conservation law uh, requires nitrogen compound emissions to be cut by 70 percent in areas bordering protected nature zones and you can't we really can't combine that with uh, the kind of intensive farming that we have in the netherlands but uh, they've now got the idea to set up a reconciliation committee and appoint uh, a person to be a mediator between the farmers yeah. and, uh, and 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 uh, the, the politicians. And I guess the only question is: Is this going to be Johan Remkes or Herman Tinkvilling? <laughs> <laughs> um, did they make a suggestion about who it w- could be? I don't. I, think they I don't did. know. I think they were talking about Shaq van der Tuck. Oh, the, uh, never heard of him. He's of he, the. Uh, is he is he one of the deputy Johan Hemkes? No, but he, he he's the chair of the um, uh, agriculture and horticulture organization. It's a lobby group, hmm. but he's okay. kind of uh, he, he's been trying to say to the farmers uh, that uh, you know that they shouldn't use such extreme tactics and they should just try and sit down and talk things out. So I hmm. think he's positioning himself maybe to be that person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the idea was kind of dismissed by uh, well, uh, politicians such as uh, Caroline van der Plas, uh, the uh, MP for the Farmers' Party, BBB, and also the SKP, the uh, Orthodox Christian Bible Belt uh, Party. It's a waste of time because the basic terms aren't going to change. So, yeah, yeah, and. Um yeah, we have to also want to mention uh, Dirk Boswijk uh, again a little bit, the yeah. CDA MP who uh, is the uh, agriculture spokesman and who has the uh, uh, ungrateful task of uh, yeah uh, keeping the few farmers that uh, that are still with the CDA on board and uh, to uh, yeah explain to them uh, that it's really necessary. He he got some yeah his house uh, his his family members were threatened uh, actually because you know he was at work in the Hague and uh, yeah. Uh, these protesters uh, showed up at his doorstep where his daughters and his wife were, were, were they, they were there and they were scared as hell of course mm-hmm. um, I have to say that this um, he stayed at home for the rest of the week but that didn't cause any uh, serious upheaval, I think and it's almost as if we get, we're getting used to this idea of politicians being uh, being intimidated by yeah, uh, 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 one group or another. Um, mm. Yeah, that 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 also worried me a little bit because we we stepped over this a little bit too easy. I think. I mean, a lot of people condemned it, but we yeah sort of moved on after this news broke. Uh, wh- when was it? Uh, Tuesday or yeah. Wednesday morning? Yeah. Uh, it was all, all almost as if uh, yeah, it was just uh, an, an, another incident, and um, yeah, that's uh, that that worries me a little bit. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it, 
it, it undermines democracy and uh, the fact that uh, yeah, an, an elected MP can't go and do his job and speak and speak for the people who voted for him is uh, yeah, is extremely worrying. <coughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, there are more protests uh, planned for next week, aren't there? Yes, uh, there's some farmers groups are uh, talking about uh, bringing the country to a standstill on Monday. Um, these are kind of, it's, it's, it's strange. On one hand, these aren't sort of centrally coordinated protests, so you're never quite sure exactly what is going to happen. But there's always a lot of talk, uh, apparently, particularly on Telegram channels, about uh, what actions they're, they're planning to, to take. And then on the day, you find out which ones actually transpire and which ones don't. But there are plans to target Schiphol and other airports like uh, Rotterdam and uh, Eindhoven, also Rotterdam Harbour, and uh, supermarket distribution centres as well. Uh, n- notably, uh, farmers are targeting uh, domestic uh, supermarket distribution uh, because uh, this business about the slogan of no farmers, no food, and this is yeah. what will happen if you don't have any farmers. But they're not really, for some reason, they're not really uh, attacking the, the, the export uh, branch, which is kind of where... <laughs> Uh, you know where the majority of uh, Dutch food actually goes, um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, 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 and which, is, uh, which is extremely lucrative, obviously. Um, the, the police have said they will step in if farmers blockade distribution facilities and stop food leaving. Schiphol Airport has warned passengers to be to expect some disruption as well on Monday. Um, some sector leaders have called for more restraint. I mentioned Sjaak von der Tuck uh, just a minute ago, um, is a, a, yeah, who, who says that farmers should try to vent their anger in a worthy and appropriate way. Uh, but he's kind of associated with the CDA party or aligned with them. And uh, they, as you, as you just said in the context of Dirk Bosvijk, uh, have been losing the rural vote uh, quite uh, uh, you know, in quite large numbers over the last few years, we saw it in the local elections, and uh, uh, farmers are increasingly switching their allegiance to either the BBB or even more radical parties like Forum for Democracy. And then you have hardliners like uh, Mark van der Nuuver of uh, Farmers Defence Force saying basically they're not going to stop with uh, these tactics until the government backs down, or Akraxi saying that uh, you know the state of the Netherlands is now at war with the Farmers Republic. So. Hard really to see how you can reconcile uh, those kinds of attitudes with, um, you know, with the hard fact that the the agriculture sector needs to be reduced in size. Yeah, I uh, would encourage uh, the farmers to uh, to keep protesting, because I, because I think um, popular support for them will uh, plummet uh, even more with every action day and every every day they protest and. Uh, uh, they uh, close the roads and, uh, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, please continue, and then uh, <laughs> mm. you will lose your uh, your sympathy and uh, and your public support. I think very quickly. Angry farmers were not the only group protesting this week because family doctors also held a week of protests with the small difference that their actions were at least public friendly. The doctors are urging the government to do something about their workload. In the past years, family doctors have gradually gotten more tasks that used to be done by specialists in the hospital. Referrals also take more time, meaning that patients spend more time than necessary in the care of family doctors. They also demand more trust in their medical decisions from insurers, uh, saying that they spend way too much time filling in paperwork Additionally, the doctors are calling on municipalities to arrange more affordable practice accommodation and have general practices, ambulance services and emergency departments to work more closely together. The protest week went along with no disruptions to patients. Dr. Verdaasdonk, who organized the protest, put buckets filled to the rim with water throughout his, uh, her practice to symbolize how uh, her list of tasks is overflowing. Mm. And today the protest week is concluded with a protest meeting at the Maliveld in The Hague. Um, 
But no I don't know if there are any tractors already there, yeah. but uh, yeah, I'm sure they uh, they will uh, manage to find a place there because the Malifeld is ridiculously large. It is a huge, yeah, a huge field, and uh, yeah, but no less. Yeah, did, did they consult Rita for Donk on this idea of filling buckets with water? Right. <laughs> uh, it, it, it reminds me of her, the, the swimming pool in her infamous campaign ad. Yeah, I think there was also a doctor in that ad, in that swimming pool, I think. Probably, yeah. We'd have to check that. With lots of kind of tomato ketchup uh, smeared yeah. across <laughs> over their face as if they'd just been yeah, just been attacked in the street Yeah, by runaway kids. Yeah, um, And uh, yeah, uh, more health issues, uh, there's some news about monkeypox infections, right? Yeah, they uh, continue to rise in the Netherlands. Uh, currently, Health Institute RIVM re- registered 257 cases, which is 46 more than last week. Uh, since May, the virus has been spreading in the Netherlands and is expected to continue to do so. The virus is uh, yeah, typically found in tropical rainforests of Central and Western Africa uh, and is spread through close contact with uh, infected people, uh, passed through bodily fluids, lesions, droplets, and also even contaminated materials such as bed sheets. And I hope not um, uh, blanket fortress uh, blankets. I would really hope not as well, yeah. No, yeah, now come to think of it, yeah. as I'm looking uh, at, at my uh, ma- at my desk being surrounded with uh, uh, <laughs> with blankets. Um, the RFEM says a significant percentage of infected people involve cases of men who have sex with other men. Um, RFEM is warning that upcoming Pride events in Amsterdam and other Dutch cities could lead to a more intensive spread of the virus. The largest Pride celebration is held in Amsterdam from July 30th to August 7th. Health Minister Ernst Kuipers wrote to Parliament that people who had contact with an infected person no longer have to quarantine for three weeks. Uh, they are, are advised to avoid close contact with other people and take care of good hygiene. Uh, but the three-week isolation period still applies to people who did get infected. Yeah, so it's all kind of coming back to personal responsibility again, isn't it? Which is the theme with uh, this government and viruses, basically. Yeah. The, 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 the infuriating thing with monkeypox is, I mean, they know who the um, vulnerable group is, which is men who have sex with other men. They also know that they also have a vaccine available, basically a smallpox vaccine, which gives very good protection against infection, but there's no plans for a vaccine round. They're basically just saying to people, it's Pride Week, but just try not to have sex, then you'll be all right. Seems a bit <laughs> weak to me, somehow. I don't mm, yeah, well, we, we, we got used to that. Uh, yes. Queen. I'm afraid so. Um, and meanwhile, uh, yeah, Health Minister Hans Kaupers has also announced plans to allow euthanasia um, for children under the age of 12, which is always a bit of a sensitive uh, subject that uh, stirs a lot of emotions. But uh, yeah, what did he actually? What did he actually say? Yeah, he told Parliament uh, this week that euthanasia should be an option for ill children under 12 who are in unbearable pain and with no hope of a cure. Um, Assisted dying in the Netherlands is bound by a number of strict criteria and is currently only an option for adults and infants younger than 12 months. Uh, Officially, euthanasia for terminally ill and suffering babies are not part of the euthanasia law, but a protocol was drawn up in 2005 by pediatricians and the health and justice ministries. Uh, On the advice of specialists and experts, the health ministry is now proposing a similar protocol for children uh, between the age of 1 and uh, and 12, especially ones uh, with a scar in the shape of a lightning (laughs) bolt on their foreheads. Um, This is a reference to Hans Kauper's resemblance to Lord Voldemort, I take it. Uh, he who does, uh, who will, who, he who will not be named. Yes, uh, Hans to he who will not be named, yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, the minister wants to avoid the change uh, of the euthanasia law. Uh, as you said, it's a very sensitive issue, especially uh, applied to, uh, to to very young children. So he fears that this uh, might lead to polarization and a discussion that will lead to, to, to nowhere. So instead, he proposes this protocol, uh, which uh, will contain seven criteria. Uh, proceedings can only be... Uh, Proceedings can only go further, for example, if doctors are convinced uh, the child is suffering unbearably and there is no cure or, or treatment to alleviate the pain. Um, every step of the process needs to be taken in very close consultation with the parents. And uh, it also needs to be explained to the child in a way he understands. And the procedure will uh, not proceed if the child opposes it in any way or if there is any sign that um, uh, he is against it. Uh, it's against his will. Uh, and at the end, the whole procedure will be evaluated by at least one independent doctor in practice that will be two i think that's also the case with the uh, adult euthanasia um, uh, uh, processes um, and uh, yeah uh, this person this doctor will check if all criteria have been met uh, so he needs to uh, to green light the whole uh, the, the whole procedure and uh, the concept is currently uh, out to consultation and minister kuipers will present the final version in october when he will also announce when the protocol uh, comes into effect yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 they already did this in Belgium, I think, uh, that they extended euthanasia to children under 12. And there's been a tiny number of actual cases. I think it might have been as little. There's certainly it took a couple of years before the first case happened in 2016. There may have been a small number of others since, but it's not, you know, a decision is uh, it's an absolutely extreme last resort when a child really is terminally ill. This isn't a situation where they're suddenly going to, you know, um, there's a risk that suddenly hundreds of children would be sort of uh, surreptitiously killed. But unfortunately, we live in an atmosphere where those kinds of opinions get a lot of traction. There are parties of parliament, parties in parliament uh, that that, that uh, promote those kinds of conspiracies. So I can see why Carapus is a bit wary about having to propose a change to the law, which would have to be debated by in, in the parliamentary chamber. It's kind of a bit sad, really, I think. that. Uh, yeah, it is. But yeah, if you also look at developments uh, across the oceans, where yes. uh, yeah, some sort of uh, yeah, rights are being um, uh, yeah, abolished uh, because people fear casual abortions, or in this case, uh, uh, casual euthanasia. So, mm. yeah, that's just not something that happens. Uh, that's not a decision you take lightly, anyone. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, but it is a development that uh, that we see. Um, on the other hand, yeah, is it is it something that you can, you you can say let's just not talk about it, uh, let's just do it, and let, let's not debate it in a in a in a open democracy. I'm not sure about that, but. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I understand his fears, and um, uh, given that we already have a similar protocol for. Uh, uh, the, the the children under the age of one, mm. yeah, why not extend it to uh, to um, to the age of twelve? I think. Yeah, yeah, because the, the age of twelve is when you get in the, in the Netherlands is also because the age when you get more autonomy generally in decision making, especially with regards to uh, medical decisions. For example, children over twelve can decide for themselves whether or not to have the coronavirus vaccine. It's quite an important. Um, threshold in Dutch law, I think. So that's, I think yeah. that's why this, uh, the, 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 yeah, that's why they're specifically talking about children under that age.
Oh, and uh, we also need to talk about uh, the Parliamentary Inquiry Commission on um, the coronavirus. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. It is announced uh, that it will, uh, the, the commission has announced it will, and, and, and an interesting addition to that um, to that uh, commission is uh, Gideon van Meijeren, the Forum for Democracy uh, yeah. MP, who yeah, has been outright denying the existence of, of, of corona. Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a, a curious and interesting uh, addition, and there was also a little bit of uphef because the chair of this parliamentary inquiry is the former um, chairwoman of the whole Tweede Kamer, Kadisha Arip, um, right. and it is said that in that capacity she might have had a little bit too much influence in um, yeah how the government uh, dealt with uh, with coronavirus. So uh, a lot of people are questioning if it was wise to to put her in charge of this uh, parliamentary inquiry commission. I have to say that I, you know, the the parliamentary, uh, uh, um, uh, the, the parliamentary rule is that the chair is independent and you know Ooh. has no saying in uh, yeah uh, 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 what is actually said or done or decided in in the Tweede Kamer. So if there's anyone who is who can who can lead this commission, I think it is Kadisha Erik because she didn't have any officially didn't have any opinion on yeah. uh, <laughs> on how the government dealt uh, coronavirus. But yeah, it's um it's, I I I, uh, I haven't had I, I haven't seen a convincing argument why she uh, she uh, she uh, wouldn't be couldn't be able shouldn't be able to uh, to have uh, to lead this commission. Yeah, I um, seem to remember that actually there was a lot of scope given during the coronavirus debates for all shades of opinion. Actually, I mean we had a whole afternoon's debate about you know whether we should set back the curfew time by half an hour at a decent yeah. justice request. So I don't really see you can say that she's been suppressing debate on the issue. I mean, yeah. It, the, the the thing is, uh, or, or the fear is that uh, this parliamentary inquiry should also investigate how the Tweede Kamer mm. uh, dealt with uh, with uh, uh, yeah the government's plans and you know uh, uh, the democratic process behind it. But yeah, in the uh, everyone who is now in the Tweede Kamer was there when that happened. So yeah, don't exactly. Think that, yeah. So, so yeah. Who, who can be? What was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who can who can be a neutral voice? Yeah. Johan Remkes. Yes, or Herman Cenk Willink. Yeah, those oh, are the yes. only ones, I think. Yeah, or Fred Taven. <laughs> he got a new job, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, was going to mention that, but later on somewhere. Oh, okay, well, then uh, th this is a nice cliffhanger for you. If you want to know what the new latest uh, <laughs> career keep, keep listening. development is, uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned, yeah, but not for very long. The government will not be apologising this year for the Netherlands' slave-owning and trading past, despite official advice that it should. Minister said it was the wrong time for an apology, uh, because the country needs to recover from the war in Ukraine, soaring gas prices, farmers' protests, and Fred Taven being appointed chair of the Brewers' Association. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it was. I don't know what any any of these things have to deal do with with uh, abolishing slavery in, no. uh, in, in, in in 1867, but okay. Absolutely none. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but that's the excuse that they're rolling with. Anyway, uh, the coalition parties are divided on the issue, which I think is probably more of a, a reason that uh, they haven't quite got round to it yet. Uh, Deza Zestach and the Chrysanuni argued that an apology is an important step towards reconciliation, while FFD and CDR are worried about what Kit Vils will put on Twitter. They also <laughs> say that uh, people living today shouldn't be held responsible for the deeds of their ancestors, uh, although the commission that investigated this explicitly said this is not about individual people being held responsible, it's the government of the Netherlands as a state acknowledging its historical 
historical responsibility. The cities of Amsterdam, Rotterdam and Utrecht have issued apologies for their role in slavery, as have other countries such as Belgium, France, the UK and Germany. Germany? Germany had a tiny colonial presence, really. I mean, they didn't have much to apologise for, but they have nevertheless. Well, they they have enough to apologise for, but not on this particular uh, subject, I think. There is that as well, yeah, but they did actually have a colony in Namibia and it was pretty vicious, but uh, yeah. Anyway, Dezen Zestok and Christian Uni will now press for the government to make an apology either on or before July the 1st next year, which is the 150th anniversary of the abolition of slavery in the former Dutch colonies. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you already mentioned this advisory committee. Uh, what, what, what did they say more? Uh, well, as well as recommending the apology, it said uh, July the 1st, uh, which is known as Keti Koti, uh, or Broken Chains. And which is today. Which is today, indeed. Today is Keti Koti, so... I don't know if you'd say happy Katie. Well, happy Katie Cotty, because it is about it is commemorating the end of slavery. So yeah, e- even though I think Form for Democracy would celebrate that we even had slavery, but that's yes, a, a yeah. different story. Yeah, yeah. The committee said this should be a national day of remembrance, and there should be a ceremony attended by the king and the whole cabinet. Uh, also, the Netherlands should recognise the slave trade and slavery as crimes against humanity, and it uh, suggested establishing a national museum of slavery and uh, including a, a broader view of the slave trading past in the national curriculum. Yeah, I think these are all uh, great ideas. There's also a, a, a discussion going on about yeah July 1st. Uh, um, it's it, it's originally a national holiday of Suriname, I think. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the, the the Netherlands has a large uh, Suriname uh, community, of course, because of our colonial past with that country. And uh, uh, it's celebrated more and more in the Netherlands. And a lot of people are... Uh, feel that July 1st uh, should be a national holiday. Uh, uh, out of protest against that, they, uh, a lot of people have taken a day off today um, mm. to, to, to show that uh, you know, this is not something that uh, you should voluntarily do, but uh, everyone uh, 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 needs to celebrate this, um, this important day in, uh, in Dutch history. I do have to say, though, and I know that this is a pet peeve of mine, but there is no such thing as a compulsory day off in the Netherlands every day, including Christmas, including King's Day, um, is a day off because uh, it is, uh, in principle, an arrangement between uh, an employee and an employer and not because the government says uh, you are free that day. Yeah, but that's a different story. Yes, uh, I do yeah. think the Dutch government does have a, la- a list of, of of official national holidays, so I think this um, it's a great idea to just uh, put that on that list because you know yeah. as it is a very important day and it is a very meaningful day for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and, and as you say, there has been a social media campaign, isn't it, for people to take the day off work and uh, then post a picture of themselves having a day off, uh, or perhaps uh, you could uh, take the day off work for Katie Cotty and then go to a tractor protest. <laughs> yeah whatever you want combine the two but yeah you're free to do what you like basically on your day off um yeah and of course at the moment there is no holiday uh, or no public holiday even a voluntary public holiday between um uh what is it whitson and uh, christmas yeah so we desperately need a, a day off we all have our uh summer holiday which uh, according to ben coach is way too long mm-hmm. um, but yeah if you disregard that then uh, indeed we don't have any day offs in in that uh, in that very long period yeah of almost six months it is almost time for the summer holidays uh, when we're going to take a ridiculously long break until September. But before, yeah, you go and, yeah, before you go and stand in a queue at Schiphol or play tractor roulette on the Dutch motorways or pick up the latest strain of COVID in Spain, we'd just like to say a big thank you to you for listening to this podcast and for supporting it with your donations. 
It's thanks to our patrons that we're able to bring you all the latest news, road closures, political debate and art heists on a weekly basis. And the good news is that if you're not already a sponsor, you can become one on Patreon for as little as a dollar or a euro a month. Other currencies are available as well. All our patrons get a shout-out as a goodwill gesture of thanks. Uh, we'll also promise not to occupy your house or block the supply of food to your local <laughs> supermarket, and you can ask us a question any time that we'll do our best to answer or at least respond to with a humorous, quirky anecdote. To join our band of patrons, log on to www.patreon.com That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash DutchNewsNL yeah, and we have to uh, say that uh, we will have a special summer episode for the Patreons during the summer, somewhere halfway the summer we will release that. Uh, we will do a um, a little uh, w- w- a crazy history-like uh, episode. We can do a sort of, sort of little, um, a few kind of uh, historical uh, episodes uh, in a kind of horrible history style, if you're familiar with oh, yeah. horrible histories uh, in, in, on the BBC. Uh, it's, it's not endorsed by or associated with horrible histories at all. I'm sure they'd want to put in distance themselves as much as possible from it but uh, it will be inspired by that I think a bit You wait nine years for a Dutch tennis player to make the third round at Wimbledon and then two come along at once Tim van Rijthoven only got into the Grand Slam tournament on the last minute wildcard after his tour win in Rosmalen but he had no intention of going home early after seeing off Argentinian Federico Delbonis in straight sets, he took on the towering 15th seed, Riley Opelka, who stands 2 metres 11 centimetres tall. Yeah. So it's basically like an average person plus a big bookcase extension. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tim van over he really aimed for the lower balls, right? So in, uh, <laughs> the, the midriff uh, area. <laughs> yeah. And um, Opelka just simply couldn't reach these yeah, he, balls. He had to stretch down. Yeah. He needed a crane yeah. or, you know, or some kind of tractor extension to get down to the ball. So it's a clever play by uh, van Rijthoven. Yeah. Go, go, get your Rijthoven. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, these two players, they because the first match of Tim van Rijthoven was, was a very uh, interesting game, a very, uh, very um, entertaining but the second one against uh, uh, Opelka yeah it was a little bit boring because they are both uh, so well at, at surfing yeah. that basically all the rallies were just one or two strikes long and uh, yeah that, that was basically it but if the rally lasted a little bit longer than that then Van Rijthoven almost always managed to win the point and that in the end yeah, made him win the game yeah so, so yeah, so there really was a David versus Goliath contest literally um, and yeah. uh, Van Rijthoven won in four sets um, and uh, lined up a third round match now against the number 22 seed uh, Nick Bashilashvili of Georgia. Yeah, they will play uh, today at noon. So uh, yeah. yeah, today being Friday. Um, so yeah, by the time this podcast is out, uh, will have um, the match will have finished. So hopefully he'll yeah. be through to the fourth round. But he's joined in the third round uh, by Botic van der Zanschulp, who is seeded 21st. He's also dropped us one set in two matches and now takes on the French veteran Richard Gasquet on Saturday. And the the third Dutchman in the draw, Talon Griekspoor, won't be troubling commentators' tonsils any further. He <laughs> lost his second round match against the 19-year-old Spanish prodigy uh, Carlos Alcaraz, who I think is a fifth seed in straight sets, so no surprise there. And also honourable mention, I think, to uh, Leslie Patinamakekova uh, in the women's draw. Uh, she only got into Wimbledon as a lucky loser and in the second round she had to take on the number one seed in the French Open champion Igas, uh, Igas Sviatek um, and a lot of tongue twisters here <laughs> a lot of tongue twisters here yeah I almost survived uh, Patinama Kekova she got a break in the first set but then lost uh, then she won the second set so she gave her opponent a, a pretty much harder time than she was expecting uh, eventually Sviatek did prevail uh, thanks to an early break in the third set and that's her 37th straight win 
at Wimbledon, uh, but probably one of the hardest ones she's had. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully we have to eat a lot more st- uh, strawberries with whipped cream um, for the coming yeah. two weeks, one yeah. and a half weeks. Yeah, courtesy of uh, the Dutch farmers. And uh, there was more Dutch success, but this time on open water swimming. Yeah, uh, Sharon van Roundel uh, is coming home from Budapest, where they're having the World Swimming Championships uh, with a gold and a bronze medal uh, at the long-distance open water swimming. She finished 10th in the 5km race, which is a bit disappointing, but then made up for it in the 10km, where she timed her sprint finish to perfection to overtake uh, Leonie Beck of Germany and um, Anna Marcella Cunha in the last few strokes and win by about the width of a hand. Cunha turned the tables in the longest event of the competition, the 25 kilometers. Now, this is a race that lasts five and a half hours. And yeah. you, you think wow. the Tour de France is boring, but at least you get a bit of scenery, <laughs> right? I mean, these people are just swimming. Um, and in the end, uh, Van Roundel ended up three tenths of a second slower than Cunha, and uh, that was for, uh, yeah, and, and that meant that she won the bronze medal rather than the gold. But imagine swimming for all that time and then losing by three tenths of a second. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, in the men's 25-kilometer race, uh, no medals for the Dutch men, but uh, Marcel Schouten uh, finished fourth, so just missed out. No, it's not the most um, uh, exhilarating sport to watch, uh, 25 kilometers open water swimming. No, it's, I don't know why it is that the Dutch sports people are, are good at the dullest sports in, in, in events. The Tour de France starts today as well, I should say that as well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> where, where do they start this time? Is it in Denmark? They're in that well-known French city of uh, Copenhagen. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, as long as they uh, stay out of the Netherlands, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they come to the Netherlands this year. But that speed skating, open water swimming and, uh, yeah. Korfball. I don't know what ball, it is yeah. in English. Yeah, yeah, these are all the top uh, Dutch sports. Yeah, and cycling, but yeah, a lot of people seem to enjoy that. A lot of people seem to enjoy long track speed skating. Well. Yeah, for the same reason, I think. Uh, people just enjoy sleeping in front of the television. That's that's my theory. Most people are not watching, they're just sleeping. No, no, and they, they, they just like to take a nap. And uh, yeah, that's a perfect... Uh, it's a perfect soporific, yeah. And now to uh, by far the most exciting story of this week. The Fine Arts Fair Tefaf in Maastricht has been the site of a budget remake of Ocean's Eleven on Tuesday. Four men stole a quantity of jewelry at the fair, and a video that went viral showed the man using a sledgehammer to break a clearly well-reinforced glass display, while visitors of the fair looked on. One gentleman in particular was noted by the uh, internet users. He was uh, calmly sitting uh, uh, on a bench next to the display, while the gang, who were dressed as the Peaky Blinders, uh, if they were French art dealers, (laughs) were robbing the fair. Uh, And he was clearly the mastermind behind this uh, steal, though, I think. Uh, He just... uh, resembled um, the Baron, the villain from the Bossin Adrian TV series. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's what he reminded me of. There's a guy as well who picked up the, the, the vase full of flowers and uh, yeah. sort of thought about <laughs> chucking it at the display case and then thought better of it and put it back down again. Yeah, he changed his <laughs> mind and thought, well, I, I think at, at the moment he was uh, running towards the guy with the sledgehammer. He noticed the other guy yeah. with the handgun and thought, well, perhaps I should... Uh, yeah. Go back. Yeah. He brought a vase to a sledgehammer fight, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, police had arrested two Belgian nationals in connections with the theft. They were stopped in a grey car with Belgian plates on the A2 motorway after they were said to be acting suspiciously, which uh, in this day and age means that they were not blocking any traffic, I think. Yeah. They should have just used a tractor as a getaway car. But uh, th- these uh, people turned out not to be involved in the crime in any way. Yeah. Uh, they were uh, released um, later that day and... And their lawyer said that the arrest was a misunderstanding and nothing in connection to the robbery has been found in their cars, which 
also sounds a little bit suspicious, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the police has has to renew their hunt for the man, and still no uh, arrests have been made so far. Yeah, but it does sound like just a gigantic cock up by the police to arrest these two Belgians, it's seemingly at random. But uh, I'm not quite sure what they what motivated them to to stop the plate with the Belgian cars. And also, they were arrested on the A2 motorway in Limburg. I mean, if you steal something in Maastricht, yeah. you just go abroad immediately, right? You have three countries to choose from. Perhaps this was uh, this was a very smart move by these men because everyone expects them to go to a different country. But if they stay in the Netherlands, that's not nothing anyone would expect, I think. So maybe mm. it was a brilliant move. Police refuses to say uh, what exactly was stolen. Uh, they did say there was a uh, it was a quantity of jewelry, whatever that may mean. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, a lot of speculations on the internet and in the newspapers about what exactly was the haul. Uh, and some uh, some say a diamond Cartier earrings worth 4.5 million euros was stolen, and some others say a necklace containing a very large and very rare yellow diamond worth 27 million or three sewers um, so yeah that's uh, that's a lot of money um, it is yeah 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 almost as much as you could crowdfund with your conspiracy theory for <laughs> the, the youtube channel in, in, in exactly. a week yeah or uh, the money you need to uh, to pay one farmer to uh, to stop uh, uh, emitting <laughs> nitrogen yeah to, to buy to buy out his farm yeah yeah exactly yeah, um, yeah so uh, it's very spectacular uh, theft what also surprised a lot of people is that uh, this particular display was like in the in the in the center of the whole fair it, mm. it took quite a while to just get away and it was it, it surprised a lot of people that they even managed to get out uh, because you know uh, you, you would expect that everyone every security uh, personnel available would be uh, immediately ordered to close all doors and all exits yeah. Uh, so yeah other people say it might be an inside job because of that but yeah mm. it's uh, i'm sure the telegraph will dive deep into this and we'll uh, we'll find out who exactly stole this in uh, in a matter of months yeah and of course, uh, art detective Arthur Brandt has uh, been on the case. Oh yeah, as well. of course. Yes, yeah, so he's, he's been talking to Telegraph, and he said, uh, in his expert opinion, the robbery was either carried out by total amateurs or by professionals who were convinced they'd get away with it. So <laughs> he's cast his net quite wide there. I have to say, that was a bit of a Donald Rumsfeld statement. I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, a lot of a lot of infamous art thefts. For example, the Mona Lisa was also stolen in I think it was 1912, uh, and a lot of people just said, "Well, this has to be the greatest theft of all. This must be a a, a highly well coordinated uh, conspiracy." Uh, but in the end, it was just a uh, Italian nationalist who uh, was annoyed with uh, with all the Italian art in in the museum. He just yeah. uh, took it off the wall and walked out, literally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of lot of. Um, crimes a lot of thefts that uh, seem yeah, at first glance as a uh, professional job uh, yeah sometimes tend to be just uh, in, indeed a very amateurist yeah. and of course the art theft in Rotterdam a few years ago where Picasso and a, a half dozen other paintings were stolen that was also done by amateur thieves really wasn't it they, they just got in through the roof they found the- yeah and, and and they just grabbed what they uh, what they bumped into basically and yeah. it turned out to be the most expensive paintings there but yeah that yeah. was uh, you, you can't believe it but yeah that was just a coincidence that they happened to uh, to take that with them it was when that happened a lot of people thought what on earth were they doing this must be a very specific order by by some millionaire or something because it yeah. was just a random collection of uh, paintings and artworks that they uh, took with them 
these people seem to know if they really went for this 27 million uh, necklace which was on at the fair then they then we probably know that they were uh, looking for that but if they took these these uh, Cartier uh, earrings which are you know not cheap 4.5 billion million euros but they were next to that necklace in the display and if they took yeah. those with them and not the necklace then yeah we know that they were didn't really know what they were doing the parameters yeah because the Tfefar fair has been targeted before as well in the 2010 when the pendants and ring with the combined value of 860,000 euros were taken and in 2008 as well uh, thieves got away with the necklace valued at 1.2 million so maybe maybe this time actually maybe check bags for sledgehammers on the way in i don't know <laughs> yeah <Maybe>, perhaps <laughs> d- d- just maybe a thought that, that might be a good idea <laughs> maybe just yeah, or maybe these these art thefts are just a, uh, a sort of um, publicity stunt that they think like uh, there's no such thing as bad bad publicity. We'll just yeah. uh, m- maybe this it was an inside job after all. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl and if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast uh, after handing over your money. This is not really free, but anyway. My thanks to Palpators. I'm Gordon Derrick. We will be back for the last podcast before our ridiculously long summer break next week, July the 8th. (laughs) 